Recently, we told you that the next decade's megatrend could be leveraged in actionable ideas today. This week, we'll tell you how. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of June 19th, 2023, and today we're going to build on our recent conversation around global megatrends and specifically how deglobalization is creating, rebuilding, re-energizing, and renegotiating opportunities that shape the global investment environment. As multi-asset investors, we're always looking across countries and investment strategies to assess what might work well given the macroeconomic environment investor sentiment, and other market factors. And these slow-moving megatrends aren't always investable, but sometimes they are, and in a big way. By considering how those trends may be built over time, we can then identify what areas might be right for investment today. So today on the show, we're going to take that conversation one step further. One of our highest conviction investment ideas or potential ways to leverage this ongoing trend around deglobalization, or as we like to call it, re-globalization, is via infrastructure. Think about it this way. If you lived in the 1920s and you knew the automobile was going to shape the economy of the future, you might not know which car manufacturers would win the day, but you would know that we'd need rubber for tires, roads to be built, etc infrastructure. We think the same may be true today around energy, technology, and finance and other supply chains as they change. But don't take it from me. We have a very special guest joining us today on the podcast all the way from Sydney, Australia, no less. Tim Humphreys is a founding member of the Global Essential Infrastructure Team at Osbill Investment Management. Osbill is a part of the New York Life Investments platform specializing in global and Australian equities. And Tim has been a great partner to our multi-asset and global teams to think about these global long-dated megatrends. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure to be here, Lauren. Thank you. Let's get our conversation started today by introducing you a little more to our audience. What is global essential infrastructure anyway? Or in other words, could you describe your investment universe for us? Absolutely. Um, so at Ausbill, we believe that we, we've come up with a better definition of infrastructure that we call Ausbill essential infrastructure. We've been doing this a long time. And, and what we've been told from investors time and time again is that they like infrastructure because it's defensive, provides resilience to volatility in markets, has inflation protection, healthy dividend income. It also brings in diversification benefits through low correlations with other asset classes. Uh, of course, it also has, and we'll talk about some of them today, some really exciting secular growth opportunities as well. So rather than cast our net as wide as possible and dilute these characteristics, we do the opposite, which is to distill infrastructure down into a universe of around about 100 companies that have a strong track record of exhibiting these characteristics that investors are looking for. We're long-term, we're index unaware investors. We also have a very low turnover of the portfolio showing and highlighting that long-term view that we have. We think that this approach is pretty unique in the market. Investors have told me time and time again that this is the approach that they're looking for when they invest in infrastructure. So I think this is a, what we call a back-to-basics approach that is really resonant with investors at the moment. All right, let's take that a step further back to basics. We've recently written research about this concept of deglobalization and saying that frankly, it's too narrow. 
and instead that countries and companies will be re-globalizing along new lines to solve complex problems around energy and technology supply chains, among others. In thinking this way, we found that big picture developments such as deglobalization can also have very tangible investable implications. How do you see that global trend as relates to infrastructure? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think a lot of the challenges that we face today are, are global challenges where infrastructure often plays a, an absolutely crucial role. So when we think about the decarbonizing of the world and, and moving towards net zero, this is a challenge that's being discussed on, on a global scale, not just individual countries. So as the technologies that are available all around the world, you can use solar panels or wind turbines in the US, in Europe or Asia. So the world is facing the same problems using the same solutions. And this can create huge opportunities, but also challenges as well in terms of countries competing for investment dollars, technology, and also components. There are other global trends as well, such as mobile phone technology and the shift from 4G to 5G and the opportunities this presents for companies that own the mobile phone towers. We're also seeing a recovery in air traffic globally post-COVID. And as the middle class grows around the world, particularly in the emerging economies like China and India, the long-term growth drivers for air travel look extremely strong. So there's a lot of strands to the globalization theme, but what we often find is that infrastructure plays a crucial role in the majority of them. I want to tug on some of these strands that you've brought up because there's some really interesting opportunities you've raised. You started with climate and energy, so I'm going to start there as well. Recently, policy actions by the U.S. via the Inflation Reduction Act and others have been taken by international allies as potentially protectionist. Can the energy supply chain be re-globalized? What might it look like for different countries and regions? You, you said that different countries are facing similar problems and solving them similar ways. How does that bifurcation of the global system look in terms of the investable infrastructure opportunity? Absolutely. The, the energy supply chain is being re-globalized on both a short-term and also a longer-term basis. So on a short-term basis, as economies recover post-COVID, uh, and also especially in Europe, since the shutoff of uh, Russian gas, there is a short-term need to ship LNG to Europe to fill the gap. Longer term, you, you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act in the US and the big incentives to develop renewable energy in the US. And this is having an impact around the world as companies, particularly in Europe and Canada, are investing more of their dollars into the US because the returns are higher. And the knock-on effect is that governments around the world are having to level the playing field so that the incentives for these companies to invest at home are just as high as they are to invest in the US. And this is likely to create a huge global step up in the incentives to develop renewable energy around the world and accelerate the build-out needed to reach net zero. So it's really exciting times at the moment. Yeah, and what you're describing leverages some of the themes that we've talked about in our research around how some of the changes that are likely to happen as a result of these global trends are not just changes in you know spending here and there, but also in countries, how they work together, how they negotiate this global landscape together. So I think that's really interesting. I think most people, though, can conceptualize the transition from brown energy like coal and oil to green energy like wind and solar, but they may miss the points on how that transition is going to happen. And I use the example at the top of the program about the automobile and how you you might not know which car manufacturers would win, but you'd know that you need roads, just as a, a basic example. How can we think about the how of infrastructure with respect to the energy transition? If you walk us through the roadmap, maybe the tangible investable ideas become clear. 
Absolutely. I think you're, you're dead right. Now, there will be winners and losers along the way. And it's our job to find those companies that uh, will succeed in a low-risk way. So for us, the, the state-regulated electric utilities are undoubtedly going to be the agents of change for the energy transition. And this is because they will agree with the, the regulators in their states uh, to shut down coal generation replace it with renewable energy. And these companies will be net winners because they earn a return on the added renewable energy investments that they make. They're also in a, a really great position because renewable energy is now the cheapest source of generation. So they can say to the regulator that we'll close down the dirty coal plants, we'll replace them with clean renewables, and we'll also reduce the bills to, to your consumers as well. So is this something you'd like to do? And unsurprisingly, time and time again, regulators say yes. So this is a really great outcome all around. And, and these are the low risk home runs that we look for. Further out, uh, of course, hydrogen likely has a role to play in terms of particularly storing excess renewable energy. And this is another potential growth avenue for the regulated utilities that there really isn't being valued today. So low-risk home runs combined with longer-term optionality is to us a great opportunity. We have several of these companies in the portfolio. What kinds of materials are needed for the type of change that you're describing? We found in our research that, depending who you ask, the materials required for certain green energy transformations are materials that there might not even be enough on Earth right now, depending on our existing technologies. So how do you think about those material inputs to infrastructure? Absolutely. Input costs are always a concern, especially when building large infrastructure projects, particularly in renewable energy, where there is that competition for resources that you mentioned. And I think one of the best ways to avoid exposure to a particular material is to be technology agnostic, both at a company level and also a portfolio level. So at the company level, the state regulated utilities will discuss with the regulator what is the cheapest available technology, whether it's onshore wind, offshore wind, solar, or even in some instances, geothermal. And once that plan has been approved, then the utility will lock in as much of the cost as they can to ensure that it doesn't suffer from cost inflation too much. And if they do, they'll go back to the regulator and discuss the situation with them. At the portfolio level, we own a basket of available technologies. So we own shares in the largest onshore wind and solar company in the world. We have shares in the largest offshore wind company in the world and also the global leader in geothermal energy. So taking a technology agnostic approach means we don't have to back one particular technology and be exposed to one particular input cost. This is an approach, speaking of being technology agnostic, that is expecting that there's going to be innovation in the supply chain. And I think that we can agree that in other areas of the economy, some of the other strands that you mentioned at the top of the program will also see innovation. So I'm thinking specifically about the technology supply chain. I think a very simplistic example might be a country that didn't have good telephone lines could skip directly to mobile towers now. What's the case to be made for investing in the technology supply chain. What do you think is needed, especially as countries like the US and China compete on these grounds? Yeah, I think you're uh, dead, dead right in terms of technology. You always need to understand the risk of technology becoming obsolete. And, and this means you have to be very selective in terms of what types of technology you invest in. And for us, the, the only area of technology that, that fits our definition are, are the mobile phone towers. So we don't invest in, in telcos, satellites, or data centers, just mobile phone towers. And this is because the technology is moving more and more in favor of the mobile phone tower industry because they provide a great service most of the time, allowing people to use their mobile phones in most locations. They avoid latency issue uh, that satellites 
suffer from. And as we move from 4G to 5G, the size of a cell that a piece of equipment covers gets smaller and smaller because of the increased amount of data that goes through it. So each new technology generation means that the mobile phone companies have to put more of their kit on more towers in order to support the increased data and also the integrity of the, uh, the cellular network. So as we move to technologies like self-driving cars, for instance, the mobile phone network is the only way to provide this fast, robust and proven technology that is needed. How can we think then about the technology of the day? I'm thinking of artificial intelligence or AI. How does that fit into this story? Yeah, it's a really hot topic at the moment, isn't it? So uh, AI, we think, will have huge implications, most of which aren't being thought of today. So within infrastructure, uh, there will be several implications. Firstly, increased computing power requires huge electricity usage. It was estimated that GPT-3 cost $4.5 million in electricity alone just to program it. And to put that in context, GPT-4, which is the, the latest version, was estimated to cost $100 million in electricity alone. So uh, utilities are probably the only companies making profits from AI today. And as technology increases and also the electrification of things increases, there will be a huge increase in demand for electricity into the future. Secondly, in an increasingly mobile economy, AI will mean inevitably that more data is sent via the mobile phone network. So once again, it benefits the mobile phone tower companies and maybe 5G and ultimately 6G bring with it new AI technologies that increase the amount of mobile data exponentially. And then finally, on uh, transportation, AI and increasingly autonomous vehicles can help traffic move more smoothly along toll roads, for example. So with traffic moving more smoothly, it can reduce travel times, reduce emissions, reduce fuel consumption, and also reduce accidents. So AI is a hugely exciting area within a very wide range of implications for infrastructure. And once again, in many of these topics, infrastructure is a key enabler of the technology, which we think is extremely exciting for the long-term outlook for the asset class. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share investment ideas. And it'd be hard to know where to start, Tim. You've already done such an amazing job of sharing actionable ideas and really making this big theme of deglobalization or reglobalization and the energy transition so tangible. But is there anything we missed, any of the strands of your investment thesis that you have high conviction in today? There, there certainly are. We, we're on a high conviction um, benchmark unaware portfolio. So uh, only companies that are really high conviction make it into to our portfolio. And one of the highest areas of conviction we have at the moment is, is airports. So there are no listed airports that you can buy shares in in the US. So if you want to invest in airports, you have to invest in places like Europe, in Australasia, that do have listed airports that you can buy shares in. Uh, we like airports for a few key reasons. First of all, the airports that, that we invest in tend to be really sort of trophy assets in places like Paris, London, Madrid, and Barcelona that have huge barriers to entry and also very low competition. We also think that airport valuations are, are, are very cheap at the moment. So share prices are often still significantly below where they were pre-COVID, but traffic has recovered and is mostly above or around pre-COVID levels. And that's before we see the meaningful traffic recovery from Chinese tourists. So you can buy great assets where traffic is continuing to recover, but valuations are still cheap. 
And that to us is a great long-term opportunity. I'm going to flip the script on you a bit, Tim, here and, and ask you for an investor that maybe doesn't have any exposure to infrastructure in their portfolio, how you typically see investors think about it. Where does it go? What does it replace? How, however you think about adding infrastructure into a, a global diversified investment portfolio. Yeah, that, that's a great question because uh, investors often struggle with this because it's a new asset class and uh, listed infrastructure has been around for about 20 years now in Australia. So whilst it's a mature asset class over here, it's a newer asset class for places like the, the US and Europe. And what we found over the years is that investors tend to make a small initial allocation to listed infrastructure, typically of around about 5% of their portfolios. And as they increase their understanding of infrastructure and the role that it plays in a portfolio, we've seen allocations increase to typically around about 10% uh, pretty much across the board. And this is because of the infrastructure characteristics that we, we touched on earlier, the defensiveness, resilience to volatility, income, inflation protection, secular growth, and also the diversification benefits. Because of the growth opportunities that uh, we've talked about today, typically allocations have come out of the, the growth bucket that, that investors have. So overall, I think Worldwide, infrastructure will be an increasingly important component of portfolios worldwide. And essential infrastructure gives you a great way to, to play this that we think best focuses on the infrastructure characteristics that investors are really looking for. Now, our regular listeners will have heard before that we on the multi-asset solutions team are also really interested in how infrastructure allocations will change over time. For equity investors, infrastructure can provide not only a different source of sector allocation, a way to think not about just cyclical or sort of pro-economic or defensive when the economy is slowing type of asset class, but one that spans different economic regimes, especially with respect to price increases, which tend to be accounted for in infrastructure companies and in the types of securities we're talking about there. So really exciting opportunity, Tim. I want to just thank you so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. I'd also like to remind our listeners that Tim and his team are really impressive thought partners on topics that we described today. And this is really only the beginning of the great research that this team does. So you can check out their white papers and other research at osbill.com.au. Coming up next, we'll take a peek at another asset class experiencing a lot of change due to global events, which is commercial real estate. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can find our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com slash insights. Or again, you can look at Tim Humphreys and his team's views at osbill.com.au. Until next time, I'm Lauren Goodwin. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. The information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for investment decisions. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances 
circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Not all products and services provided by Osville Investment Management Limited may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Nothing stated herein should be considered an investment advice or a recommendation of a particular security strategy or investment product. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Osville Investment Management Limited, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Osville Investment Management Limited. Osville Investment Management Limited is an affiliate of New York Life Investment Management LLC, an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.